Bibles this morning, please, again to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, as we continue looking at this series. We're calling Blessed, a study of the Beatitudes, Matthew, chapter 5, and I'll go ahead and admit it, I can be a very unpleasant person when I'm hungry. Can you relate? You ever seen those uh, Snickers commercials where people are acting crazy or even appearing as someone else because they're hungry, and then they give them a uh, Snickers and they return to normal. Well, if honest, if I was honest today, I probably could appear on one of those commercials. Uh, so I wonder about you. How about you? Do you ever get hungry? Is there ever a time where you're hungry? And when you're hungry, how do you respond? You know, getting hungry is a good sign, you know. Uh, it's a sign of life. You ever think about that? Uh, people who are dead do not get hungry. Uh, so if you're alive, you're going to get hungry. Uh, but it's also a sign of health. When someone gets sick, uh, when someone's not feeling well, what's one of the first things that many times goes away? It's their hunger. It's their appetite. And uh, one of the concerns we have when people are sick are how are you eating? And uh, do you have an appetite? And so hunger is a good thing. Uh, it's a sign of life. It's a sign of health. And hunger is a God-given thing. God created us to have hunger and to have thirst. Food and water are necessary to life. Uh, if we stop eating, if we stop drinking, we'll, we will eventually die. But if truth be known, many of us have never truly experienced real hunger. Now, no doubt some among us may have. Uh, those who were alive during the Great Depression... Uh, those who maybe were brought up in extreme poverty, uh, even those, for whatever reason, you've gone for long periods of time uh, without food, uh, you may know what hunger is, but for a lot of us, we don't really understand what it is to literally be starving to death or dying of thirst. We use those phrases, we say those things when we're a little bit hungry and I'm starving to death or I'm about to thirst to death, but in reality, a lot of us have very little um, understanding of what that is. And we come to today's Beatitude and we hear this idea about hungering and thirsting and uh, we hear it with different ears than many of those that heard it originally when Jesus spoke it. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, here's what the Lord Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so for us, we, we look at that and we hear that and we hear it and see it with American ears and eyes and we're living here and most of us are not concerned today about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink. But as one scholar that I read this past week said, in New Testament times, the average working man in Palestine would eat meat only once a week. So think about that. It said many people live close to the borderline between hunger and starvation. Water was an even more precious commodity. Back in that time, life had to be carefully planned around the availability of enough water to stay alive. And so I want you to try to put yourself in their sandals for a moment and hear those words again if you realize that maybe you only eat meat once a week, that hunger was a real issue, that having water to drink was a very serious thing. And you hear the Lord Jesus say these words now, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus is talking about a serious hunger and a serious thirst, not just a snack, but survival. 
And it's interesting, the Lord Jesus in these Beatitudes, He's talking in this verse about basic needs, food and water. These are crucial for life. But there's another basic need here. And what He does is He takes the basic needs of food and water, of hunger and thirst, and He reorients them not toward physical water and physical food, but toward righteousness. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I want you to understand that righteousness is also one of our basic needs. It's the most basic spiritual need that we have. We need righteousness. We need righteousness. Our most basic spiritual need is righteousness. We need to be made right with God. We're sinners. Our sin separates us from a holy God. But God in love and mercy has sent His Son to be our righteousness. He took our sin upon Himself on the cross. He died. He was buried. He rose victoriously. And if we turn from our sin and place our faith in Him, listen, His righteousness is credited to our account. It's the great exchange. He takes our sin and gives us His righteousness. Hallelujah. The great exchange. We're justified. Justification. We're legally declared innocent because of Jesus' righteousness. This is known in theological terms as imputed righteousness. Righteousness. Do you understand that? That we give Him our sin and He gives us His righteousness. Have you experienced that personally? Has there been a time in your life where you have been convicted by the Holy Spirit You recognized you were a sinner. You realized you were lost. And you turned from your sin and you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. If not, I want to invite you today to do that. To receive His imputed righteousness. Now, that's not exactly what He's talking about when He says righteousness here, though. When He says that blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, He's not talking about salvation or justification here. In fact, I understand from one scholar that Matthew always used the term righteousness in the book of Matthew in regards to personal fidelity to God and regards to God's will. In other words, he's not talking about imputed righteousness. He's talking about a hungering and thirsting not for salvation, but a hungering and thirsting for holiness. That is a desire for holiness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, after right after holiness, not only personal holiness, but also holiness in society. It's the idea of God uh, sending a revival and cleaning things up and you're hungering and thirsting to see things made right. And so we could understand this in this regard. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after holiness. Personal holiness and holiness in all spheres. And Jesus said that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, this kind of righteousness, they shall be filled. Now we know, beloved, that perfect holiness in all areas is not going to take place until there is the new earth. We know the Bible teaches that all believers, those of us who know the Lord Jesus, we shall be perfect. Hallelujah. There's coming a day we're going to be perfect. We know the Bible teaches this coming day when everything will be perfect. Praise the Lord for that. It'll be like a return to Eden, if you will. Let me give you some scripture there. First John chapter three, verse two. You can read it off the screen, jot the reference down. Beloved, now we are children of God, 
And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like who? Like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. Perfect righteousness. We're going to be perfect. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Nevertheless, we according to His promise, watch this, look for new heavens and a new earth. Now watch the next part. In which what? In which righteousness dwells. Do you see it there? The Lord Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And one day we're going to literally experience that in the new heaven and new earth, it says, where righteousness dwells. So this blessing that he's talking about here in this beatitude, it will be fully fulfilled in the future, but like the other beatitudes, there is a now element to it. It does impact our lives now. Because really to hunger and to thirst for righteousness, to really hunger and to really thirst for righteousness is to hunger and thirst for God. If we're really hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we're hungering and thirsting for God. We want righteousness. We want to be right. We want to live right. We want to speak right. We want to think right. We want to be holy. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be like the righteous one. And the way to do this is to be hungering and thirsting after righteousness, to be hungering and thirsting after God. After all, when you think about hungering and thirsting after righteousness, uh, isn't Jesus the bread of life? Uh, isn't Jesus the spring of living water? John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Why is it? Do you ever think about this? And I don't know if we can answer categorically, but do you ever think about why God created us to need food and water in the first place? Why He put hunger within us in the first place? I mean, God could have made us with, with a battery. We could have been like a, a robot and we could have went out in the sun and we could have... Re Imagine if you had a refill thing right on your head, just like on your phone. There was a battery with little marks there. We could, we could just look at you and say, well, I know why they're acting that way. They're about one, one notch you know, short of shutting down. Uh, but God didn't create us that way. God created us that we have hunger and thirst and we have a need for food and water and these things. And it could be, could it not, that the reason He created us that way is because we could understand what Jesus says there when He says about Himself, I am the bread of life. And we understand what that's all about. And, and about thirst, that He's the spring of living water. When you think about food and hunger and thirst, you can go back to the Garden of Eden and, and what happens? Where did man fall? He fell in regards to his hunger, didn't he? When he saw the fruit that it was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and desired to make one wise and it was the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and he took and ate it. When Satan came to the Lord Jesus to tempt him, what was one of the temptations after Jesus had been fasting all this time? He says, turn these stones into what? Into bread. You know, we realize today that we have hungers and we have a thirst in our lives. And it could be the reason why God created us that way is because we could understand that Jesus is the one who meets and satisfies our hunger and our thirst. And so this beatitude says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, who hunger and thirst after holiness, who hunger and thirst after God. And so the question is this, beloved Christian, how hungry are we for God? How hungry are we for God? 
The Lord Jesus says we're blessed if we hunger and thirst after righteousness. How hungry are we for God? That question alone might sound kind of strange to you. But you know, the Bible talks about hungering and thirsting and longing for God. Listen to what the psalmist says. And as I show you these verses, we read these verses, I want you to think about your own life and think about, does this describe you? Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? What about Psalm 63.1? Oh God, You are my God. Early I will seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh longs for You in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. I'm afraid, beloved, that too many of us look at those types of psalms and those verses and we kind of raise an eyebrow and we find it kind of strange talk we find it kind of strange phraseology, and honestly, we have very little idea, if no idea, what in the world they're talking about of this hungering and thirsting and longing for God. Because too many Christians want enough of God, enough of Jesus to get them to heaven, but for heaven's sake, let's not be fanatical about it. If I can just get a get-out-of-hell-free card and I'm good to go, that's enough for me. But beloved, that is not the Christian life. That is not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. It's a longing. It's a desire. It's a thirst. Crying out for God. Crying out for Him. Too many people are like the student of Aristotle. I read this past week about Aristotle and one of his students. And that one of his young students came to him and said, Aristotle, you have wisdom that I so desire to have. How can I have it? In other words, how can I have this wisdom? And Aristotle said to the student, you really want it? And the young man said, Master, I do. And Aristotle looked at the student and said, well then, follow me. And Aristotle took off and walked across the portico of the building out into the courtyard. And without hesitating, he waded directly into the pool of a fountain with water nearly waist high. Well, the young man who was following him hesitated. And then he thought, well, you know, he said to follow him in order to find wisdom. So he gathered up his robe and he climbed over the edge and he joined Aristotle there in the water. And when they were in the middle of the pool, Aristotle suddenly turned, grabbed the young man by the nape of the neck, pushed him under the water and held him there. He's holding him in the water. And the youth is thrashing his arms and kicking his legs and he's desperate to breathe. He has him by the, the nape of the neck there. And at the last moment, Aristotle picked him up and carried him to the side of the pool. And his young disciple was coughing and sputtering and, and shock and rage. But Aristotle just ignored it all and waited till he stopped gasping. And then he asked him this question. When I held your head under the water, what did you want more than anything? And the young man replied, air, sir, air. And his teacher said to him, as he climbed out of the pool, he said, when you want wisdom as badly as you want it air, you will have and it reminds us of so many believers 
who say, well, I want to be holy. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be righteous. I, I want to live right and do right and be right. I want to be a godly person. But they don't really desire it. They, they don't really want it. They say they want God. They say they want to be godly. But if truth were known, what they really want is what God will give them. They want the blessings of God more than the blesser himself. If I could say it that way, the blesser, the one who blesses. Why? Why do we do that? Why do we get so enamored with the gifts instead of the giver? Why do we want God's blessings in our life instead of God Himself? Could it be that we don't believe that God really is enough? That He is the source of happiness and holiness and wholeness. We don't really believe what the psalmist wrote when he said in Psalm 1611 these words. You will show me the path of life. Now watch this. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so we're hungry and we're thirsty and we're looking for satisfaction and fulfillment and, and holiness and meaning and purpose and all these things in our life and we're hungry and instead of going to the one who can meet our hunger and our thirst, we go about trying to find anything and everything and everyone else. As C.S. Lewis said so remarkably well, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so here we are in life, and we're busy making mud pies at the slum, and we're missing out. Because we don't really hunger and thirst after righteousness. We don't hunger and thirst after God. We don't realize that there are indeed fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in our God. Jesus said it clearly in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek what? First, the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. You know, there in Matthew chapter 6, we're not supposed to fret over all the needs of life. You go back and read that passage today. Jesus says, listen, you'll seek first not second, not third, not fifth, not tenth, not at the end of the list. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Think about the Apostle Paul. Think about the tremendous way that God used the Apostle Paul. Taking him from the persecutor of the church to the great missionary of the church. And yet when you look at Paul's life, what was his great desire? Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Here's his desire that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, that I may know Him. He hungered and thirsted after God. He wanted to know Jesus. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 34. We're talking about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Look what it says in Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. 
You know, as I think about it, beloved, one of the reasons I think we struggle so much to share our faith, we struggle so much to witness, we struggle so much to evangelize, is because we have not been feasting on the Lord ourselves. Because we've been feasting upon the Lord ourselves and we taste and we see just how good the Lord is. We can't help but tell somebody else. Like when we go to a good restaurant and we just can't wait to tell our friends and our family and our neighbors, hey, you've got to go try this. It's so good. Well, the reason I think we struggle so much is because we're not filling up on the Lord. We're filling up on everything else. And so we struggle. You know, the interesting thing about it, beloved, is the... The more you feast on Christ, the more you want of Christ. In other words, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, you shall be filled. Yet the interesting thing is when you feast upon the Lord, you're filled, but then you come again. In other words, he satisfies, but then you find yourselves unsatisfied. You want more and we come to him again. Now, how can this be that we feast upon and we're satisfied and yet we're unsatisfied and we keep coming back again and again and again? I got to thinking about that in my, my life and thinking about it, how to reconcile that in my mind. And I think a very simple illustration will, will show what I'm talking about. My mother makes a very wonderful banana pudding. It's not the old-fashioned type that we grew up on. You know, that we used to bake, that you used to eat at homecoming. No, 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 that kind. It's the new kind. It's the pudding-based kind that you don't cook. And every time that she comes to visit, and you'll see her here from time to time during the year, she will either bring that with her or she'll make it while she's here. Now, I haven't actually told you about it, but I make up my mind. I resolve in my mind, because I love this stuff, and my mind, before she gets here, when she's making it, I resolve in my mind, I'm not going to overdo it on this banana pudding this time. <laughs> and so what I do is I go and I get a, a, a good bowl of banana pudding, and, and I resolve I'm not going to overdo it. And, and I eat that stuff, and I sit down and I enjoy it. It's wonderful. It tastes wonderful. It tastes so good. And it satisfies my desire. It satisfies my taste buds. But then I go back in the kitchen. And there it is. And I say, well, just another spoonful. Or you've got to clean the spoon off and put it in the sink, right? So just, just a little bit more. And so I feast, but I desire more. Now, if that's true with something as simple and as earthly as banana pudding, how much more is it with the sweet lamb of Calvary? when we come and we feast upon Him and His goodness, we find ourselves in the Word and we're reading about the loveliness of our Lord Jesus. This morning in Sunday school, we saw Him dealing with Peter, telling Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And we know the one passage there, I think in the Gospel of Luke, says the Lord Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And Peter goes out and he weeps. He's heartbroken that he's denied the Lord Jesus. And then we have the resurrected Lord Jesus. Go and tell him I'm alive and tell Peter. And as we studied this morning as he's on the beach and he cooks breakfast for them and he gives them breakfast and he calls them out one by one. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he restores him. 
And he even has such confidence in Peter, he even tells him how he's going to die. He's going to die in faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. And we see the goodness of our God. We see our sweet Jesus. And the love that He has for us. When we fail Him over and over and over again, yet He loves us with an everlasting love. I realize how good He is. And how glorious He is. And how gracious He is. We don't deserve anything but hell. That's all we deserve. That's all we've earned. And yet in love and mercy, He's given us righteousness. He's given us heaven. He's given us the indwelling Holy Spirit. He's given us all these things. And He's given us Himself. And as we feast on Him, and we come and we learn more about Him, and we spend time in the Word, and we continue to grow, and we are hungry, and we're thirsty. We want to do what's right. We want to be like Jesus. And we begin to get into the Word and grow and become more like Him. And we're satisfied. Yet what you'll find, beloved, if you've not found it yet, is the more you grow, the more you're in the Word, the more you feast to the Lord, the more you want to. The more you want to. And the more you want to feast on Him. And so I ask you today, how hungry are you for the Lord? Are you feasting at His table? Or are you like the prodigal son who's busy filling his stomach with the husk of this world? If that's you, do like the prodigal son and remember your father and get up and come to the father. I want to leave you with the words of the old Scottish preacher Thomas Guthrie. And I'm going to be honest with you, his words are very convicting very challenging, and they're going to, I think, challenge you as they challenge me. But I want to read them in closing today. Thinking about hungering and thirsting after God, Thomas Guthrie said, If you find yourself loving any pleasure better than your prayers, any book better than the Bible, any house better than the house of God, any table better than the Lord's table, any person better than Christ, any indulgence better than the hope of heaven, take alarm. Take alarm. How hungry are you? How hungry am I for God today? Heavenly Father, thank You for the bread of life. Thank You for the spring of living water. Thank You for the Lord Jesus. Our hearts have been challenged today, Lord, as we think about this whole idea of hungering and thirsting after righteousness, of hungering and thirsting after You, O God. Lord, I don't know what you're saying to folks today. But I just pray your Holy Spirit to speak to the hearts of your people today. Father, if someone's lost, please please bring them to salvation. But Lord, for those of us that are yours already, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak 
to our hearts right now. Lord, I pray that we'd be receptive to what He's saying. We would respond in obedience and faith. Let me just give you a moment. I want the Lord to speak to my heart fresh and anew. I want the Lord to speak to your heart. Just have a moment here where the Holy Spirit can speak to our hearts. And now, Father, bless this offering, bless this altar call, Lord, as we offer ourselves to you, as we hunger and thirst for you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 320. I don't know what God spoke to your heart today, but I want to encourage you to respond in faith and obedience. The altar is here. If you need to be saved today, we'd love to help you with that. The majority of the message was to those of us who know Christ. And so maybe He's spoken to your heart about some matter today. I would invite you to come, do business with Him, come to the altar. We're singing 320. Let's stand together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Mm -hmm.